Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was now finding. Today's episode is brought to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we are all unable to travel due to this pandemic-type situation, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, the gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the code 15OFF. That's the number 15OFF. Go to thegallery.com, that's the G-A-L-R-Y dot com so that your wall will never be boring again. Hey guys, welcome to PG Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean, the scientist. I'm unemployed. (laughs) 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 Hey guys, welcome to PG Dish. I'm Nathan. Wait, are you seriously beeping that? Uh, I liked it. <laughs> well, just in case, though. I mean, Stacey could be who she wants, but hey, guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. I'm the resident common man here to ask the kind of questions you want answered. Wow, you're yeah. really pepped up. I'm the scientist who I guess is answering these fucking questions. He's the man who gets paid. I'm the man <laughs> who the government <laughs> needs to pay <laughs> because I'm unemployable otherwise. <laughs> Because I'm a common man. In 1680, I would have come to America and I would have squatted on someone else's land in North Carolina. Yeah. I would have been part of the Tar Heel State. Woo! Wow. Yeah. You're really moving around. (laughs) You got a lot of juice right now. Tar Heel. Nathan, what is this episode about? So, this is a subject that's close to my heart. I remember when I was a kid and I would learn about subjects and predicates. I'd learn about, you know, skies. Why why is there air, right? I'd learn about all these things. And one of the things I learned as a child was that there's these kingdoms of life, right? There's animals, there's plants, there's bacteria. It turns out there's like kind of different types of bacteria. And then there's protists, and then there's this one fucking crazy thing called fungus. And when I was a very little baby, I'm talking like like a fetus, right? Like I thought a fungus was just kind of a gross thing on someone's foot. But as I got older, I learned that funguses are like fucking dude in, in the new Star Trek, dude. They, like, fucking use fungal spores to, like, fucking do warp speed and shit, dude. Like, funguses are metal as fuck. Like, there's some funguses, dude, that pop out of caterpillars' heads and are like, ha! And they make other ones zombies. My point is, is that f- f- fungi... I've said funguses a lot now. <laughs> fungi are a really interesting kingdom of life. They're, like, super diverse, critically important, and way more interesting than you would initially imagine from someone's foot. <laughs> That was that was good. <laughs> that was a tour de force. I'm Lance Armstrong. I'm all popped up. I'm all that, drugs, and I'm rolling through France. That took longer to get into it <laughs> than, than I thought it, it was going to, but it was good. It Dude, ended strong. I'm so hopped up on Diet Coke right now. <laughs> and fried chicken, I'm like, whoa, baby. Well, I think our listeners got it. This episode's about fungi. So why don't we go ahead and get into it? Guys, and what you should also realize is this is a crazy shit episode. So... Take some shrooms and lock in. We're going to go through the galaxy, baby. Put on Parliament. I'm talking Funkadelic Afrofuturism. Okay, woo! To the stars with fungus. You are hopped up on go-go juice right now. You got the jitters. Also known as Coke Zero. All right. (laughs) Let's take that musical fucking break now. So, Sean, what the fuck even is a fungus? That's a good question, Nathan. So, for a very long time, fungi were kind of tossed into the plant category. Right, well, that makes sense, because, like, they're not cheetahs. Right. Right? And yes. they're, they're, not, they're not people. 
Right. Like, like, an, like, I mean, not to be completely silly, but, like, animals feel, like, because we anthropomorphize a lot of animals. They, like, feel more recognizable. They feel like a thing. Plants are, like, the things that don't move. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. fungus, well, they don't move. Well, the, a, animal, animus. It, it, animals are about movement. As do you, like, a, a do you have animus movement. against me, sir? What? <laughs> Anime? Do I? And <laughs> 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 a, 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 a tomato? No, that's <laughs> not the right thing. Anime sometimes is oddly like not about movement. It's like a single painted right like image, and then they slowly pan across because like they didn't want to pay for more frames. Yeah, yeah. It's... Anyway. It's a very tough industry, apparently. Yeah, I'm sorry, everybody. And then, and then the other grouping was like vegetative, and that included plants and fungi for a very long time. And then eventually, somebody came along. And was like, oh, maybe it should be a little bit different because they seem different from plants. Call it to Robert Whitaker, 1969, for that paper. Right. So a little bit before Whitaker, there was some discussion about a group called protists or protista. Right. And. Protists were like not bacteria, little single-celled shits. Yeah, like amoeba and right, everything. Right. And there was this big issue where people were like, "Okay, by the '60s, we had figured out that yeast are basically in the same group as mushrooms. Right. They're all fungi. Right. But yeast seem much more like protists. Right. And fungi, the the mushrooms, kind of feel like a seem plant. Seem more like plants. You eat them like a plant. And so there was a big debate about like where they should go between those two. Well, what did Linnaeus think? No, I'm just kidding. We'll get about that later. The plant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Whitaker was like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be grouping these things based on whether they run around or not. And maybe we should be grouping them instead on evolutionary relatedness. Fuck, that's smart. And that's when he basically came up with the five kingdom shit that we're very used to, which is like the animal, plant, fungi, protist, and monera groupings right is monera even still a thing is it six kingdoms now or do we still teach five right so, i haven't been to high school bio in a while it's actually a good question of i think mainly now in high school bio they teach domains right. first and so basically there's at this point three main domains oh okay. there's archaea or archae right bacteria and eukaryotes okay so I kind of know some things about this. Eukaryotes are like the big boys with the nucleus and like the organelles and shit, mm. right? That's like we're part of the eukaryotic domain. Yep. Right? Yes. And then there's bacteria that are like, you know, little wee 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 And then the archaea are like the really old ones. Is that not right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, that's actually, that comes to a really important point because bacteria and eukaryotes are actually... Kind of the two ones that we're pretty familiar with. Right. And archaea were ones that seem weirder. Like they're a like lot of the them fuckers, are extremophiles. Yeah, they're the fuckers like in the bottom of a lava pit. Right. They're doing a lot of stranger stuff. Yeah. And so it was kind of thought, oh, that's a very early branch off in the tree of life. Stranger stuff is like an awful spinoff to stranger <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> like them eating Pop-Tarts. Yeah, the whoopsie-whoa land. <laughs> <laughs> so these three groups... They are all pretty different. So domains, they're nice because there's only three of them. That's yeah. Nice. And I, I can't count to five, but three. <laughs> okay, I can do three. And they're pretty solid groupings because they all have like pretty different ribosomes. And ribosomes are like such a fundamental part of a cell working. Right. That the fact that they all have different ribosomes from each other right. is like a pretty good indication that like those domains are meaningful. They're meaningful right. distinguishing factors. And just to recap super quick... You got the DNA, the RNA, flip, 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 flip to the ribosome, make a protein, <laughs> right? Like, that's what it is, right? Yeah, I think your song cuts out a lot of the important parts, but yeah, those are the words that are relevant. My brain has a lot of important stuff cut out. <laughs> Just filled with fart noises? Yeah. Um, so, I'm the reason they banned ice pick lobotomies. <laughs> They're like, look at what you've done. Well... <laughs> but one thing that we've always wanted to know is sort of like what type of cell branched off from who, when, right? right? And so kind of originally, we would have thought that Archaea actually branched off first because they're so weird to us. But. But. Whoa. Not only did we find out that in reality, bacteria had branched off first and we're more closely related to Archaea than we are to bacteria. Oh, shit. 
But actually, there is some question about whether or not we are actually a separate domain at all, if we're being, like, really careful about our classification. So, like, maybe Eukaryot and Archaea are actually just, like, the same fucking domain. Uh, so there's uh, people who organize things into groups sometimes have arguments about, like, how hard you should try to organize them into, like, completely separate, non-overlapping groups. Right, if you're, like, way deep on the spectrum, you're like, they gotta be the same group because of the ribosome. And then, like, if you're more chill, you're like, come on, man, we got three. We're just gonna chill with three. So the thing is that this comes up in, like, reptilia. Right. Birds fall within reptilia. Right. Weird. But... Most of the time, people they don't people don't feel that way, right? People will be like, "Yes, birds are like directly along the lines of descent from dinosaurs," right? But like, people don't normally think about them as a type of reptile, right? Like, if you study reptiles, you're probably not studying birds, right? right. Like, it's it's kind of a separate thing. Herpetology, but the, the reality, study of herp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's yes. a bad name. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, wait, real quick, just yeah. super quick digression. Yeah. I feel like people who don't get the whole bird dinosaur thing should just look at an emu. Because, mm-hmm. sure. like, I heard that birds are directly descended of dinosaurs. And my first reaction was like, whoa, did dinosaurs have feathers? Which apparently a lot did. Yeah. But then the second thought is, like, you know, actually a chicken does look totally fucked, right? Like, birds are actually kind of fucking weird looking if you, like, really think about it. You look past the feathers and you look at their face. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, that's a bad face. Yeah. They just ha- happen to be wearing a COVID mask yeah. so you can't see the bad part of their face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they got a bad mouth. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty freaky. And they got cloaca. Yeah. Ugh. And they're weirdos. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, birds are more closely related to crocodiles than either are related to lizards right. or snakes. Because crocodiles are around with the dinosaurs and lizards are like some punk-ass bitches that came off of snakes like a long-ass time ago, right? Yeah, and, like, pretty separately. Yeah. Right? Like, they, it's a complicated classification question. Right. And that almost exact same situation right. might apply here for eukaryotes and archaea. Oh, interesting. We might be just a weird kind of archaea that spun out and did our own thing. And, like, we're, like, the birds of the archaea family. Whoa. And, like, archaea are, is the reptile grouping, and all eukaryotes are just dude. a weird subset of archaea. Dude, you're wrinkling my brain right now. <laughs> Whoa. So it might not be a thing that all Archaea kind of separated from us at some time in the past. It's more like we separated from Archaea. But only some of them is the thing. Like, so, oh, what, what I'm fuck. saying some is Some humans that, are Archaea still. What Just I'm, kidding. What I'm saying is that there are some Archaea that we might be more closely related to right, 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 right. than those Archaea are to some other Archaea. Right, I see. Okay. As in, like, within the whole big group of Archaea, there might be so much time that we're actually more closely related to some of them. I'm like an Archaea in a lava pit, and you're like an Archaea in the tundra. Because, like, I'm more like a firebender, and what? I think you're more of a waterbender. Cause I'm, no, I'm that so, doesn't make any sense. I'm so spicy... And you're very cool, except when you're not. I think you're 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 an airbender kind of goofy type. Uh, you're a cabbage salesman. And I'm smoldering fire. Yeah, you're fi- you're a firebender. <laughs> I think I'm firing. So, Stacy, what do you think? Oh, you think so? Okay, okay. I just I guess I think you're so cool. <laughs> Sometimes I get so mad at you though. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it is. Okay. Wow. Shit. Well, so we were just talking about like arcane stuff. This episode's about fungi. <laughs> I think you're more like Zuko in season three than season one. And I'm like Iroh. I'm like, leaves are the vine, <laughs> so slow. Oh, I think Iroh is kind of an atypical firebender. Yeah. You know? Little soldier boy. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. There's, there's no crying in Petri <laughs> Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that was a big digression. Yeah. On like a lot of shit that's not about fungi. Right. So we need to start narrowing down. Okay, so domain. We're talking about eukaryotes. Well, what's in a domain? It's not really kingdoms anymore. Right. The kingdom grouping was pretty messed up. For example, right. protists yeah. is like too much of a grab bag. Yeah. We've gotten a lot more genetic information. So we found out that some things are much more closely related to each other. It's kind of a historical transitional concept into hopefully better groupings. Right. So now we have what are called supergroups. Okay, cool, cool, cool. What are the supergroups? Uh, BTS. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I see also you have a revolutionary war joke. Okay, we don't want to call anything kingdoms. Yes. Because we don't like monarchy. Not anymore. Except Beyonce, apparently. <laughs> yes, Queen B. Yeah. So what supergroups do we have? Let me know how many of these you recognize, Nathan. Right. 
Archaeplastidia, Amorphia, TSAR or SAR, Crumbs, Cryptista, Haptista, Excavates, maybe. And then a bunch of loner groups uh, like Picazoa and Hemimastigophora. Uh, shit like that. Yeah. Oh, wait. Well, so I know Crumb was, um, I think, briefly Hermione's love interest in Harry Potter. That's oh, a deep cut. Oh, nice. Um, I didn't even read all those books, but I just got a great memory. Second, I do know that they're a lot like the Umbrella Academy, and that you're told they're superheroes in a superhero show, but you couldn't give a fuck, and you don't know their names. <laughs> Except <laughs> Ellen Page. <laughs> so, some people like that show. Anyway, I do not recognize any of those groups right. from, like, any of the biology classes I've taken. Right. So, what's the deal with them? Well, Archaeplastidia are land plants and red and green algae. Hilarious. Okay. okay. Amorphia is a supergroup that contains amoebas, most slime molds, and some other kind of former protist guys. Including some stuff that, like, used to be maybe animals and maybe fungi. Right. All got regrouped into Amorphia. So in the modern nomenclature, in the modern classification, we're actually in with fungi. Right. Because in really key characteristics, we're the same. As far as, as, far as actually matters biologically. Right. In this supergroup. Right. Which right? is still a very big grouping, of course. Yeah. Along with amoebas and shit, right? Yeah. SAR, or T-S-A-R, is an acronym for four groups in that supergroup. And they represent like half of all known eukaryote species diversity. I think it's funny that we threw away kingdom, but we got to czar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was on purpose. <laughs> and so that includes algae and like diatomes. There's kelps in this group. Very so, sexy. So kelps are in a different supergroup than land plants. Oh, that's in this interesting. Classification, right? Well, they're in the ocean. And there's also free living and parasitic protists. So that means that there are parasitic protists that are more closely related to kelp than a land plant is. Okay. And I mean, like, that shouldn't be that surprising necessarily. Like, why would we hold on to our old classifications as science has evolved? It's, the, the whole term protus is, is a problematic bag anyway. That's true, but I think because of photosynthesis, I think we had kind of felt like all eukaryotes that do photosynthesis... They're a thing. ...are a thing. But actually... Yeah, right. Kelp, which do photosynthesis, are actually more closely related to these parasitic single-celled guys right. than they are to land plants. Right. Which is kind of... I know a couple people who are more related to parasitic protists than people. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a buddy whose brother like lives in actual squalor. Like, you walk into his house and it's like Chernobyl. <laughs> and then I saw him finally once after like two years and he was actually just a slime mold. And I was like, you were a protist all along. <laughs> but still technically part of our same supergroup. Yes, that's true. Good job, buddy. Crumbs are kind of a free-living protists. Cryptista are like unicellular dudes. Some of them have chlorophyll. Some of them don't. Haptista is mostly more algae. So uh, are they ever going to take these names and make them things that like biology students could actually learn? Like in like make them grade? easier? Yeah. Or is know. this like purely for academia? Like there's no interest in de-jargoning it. You know, that's a good question. Um... I don't know if they're going to make it any better. You should make a children's book about it yeah. called Creatures from the Crypt. <laughs> so that's just about unicellular dudes. <laughs> okay, so those are the supergroups. And then if we kind of break in, right, to the Amorphia supergroup and we go into the subgroups, you, you start getting rid of stuff like the amoebas and the slime molds and all that shit to the Apistocons. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> And yeah, sure. In Lord of the Rings, we saw them with uh, <laughs> with the men of Herod. <laughs> and Apistacons still have animals and fungi grouped together, Yeah, right? But they can be broadly split into a fungus-like group and an animal-like group. Okay. Finally. Yes, right? right. So now we're at the subgroup level, and finally animals got divided from fungi. Okay? Jesus. But to be clear, there were species that were once thought to be fungi, or that were once thought to be kind of like a more animal-like, and are now part of some other group. Okay. Like a SAR group or something like that. Okay. Um, so we're still sorting out some of the details. We're still collecting a lot of new genetic information from species we never saw before. Okay. So a lot of talk and much ado about nothing. We still don't really know what a fungus is, though. Right. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Let's take a break. <laughs> and, then, oh! <laughs> and then finally I'll give you my definition of what a fungus is, kind of. Okay. 
It was 8.05 p.m. when John Doe approached his car. I did not know the man, but I had heard him having an argument with his wife, so I knew I would not be the prime suspect. I found a discarded lead pipe in the gutter and struck him three times across the head. Then my only problem was where to discard the body. This is Really True Crime. The first podcast brought to you by Real True Criminals. I had never seen her naked body, but I had oft imagined it in my more pensive moments. Good for strangling, I thought, as I strangled her. Every week, we recount our own true criminal activities to you to satisfy those dark urges within. Join us on Tuesdays wherever podcasts are. Okay, so, um, I give that last segment a two out of five stars. <laughs> what a, uh, so, so what is the fungus? Yeah, yeah, okay. So if I were to try to come up with a definition that I've seen in some papers, it's that Fungi are heterotrophic eukaryotes with cell walls composed of chitin or beta-glucan. Okay, cool. Now, like... Even that sucks. Yeah, because the thing is that there are species that are very closely related to fungi that might have cell walls that are kind of similar. And so it gets kind of rough, really, to, to distinguish it. Like At the end of the day, fungi are... Life is very diverse. Categories are useful, but they're also imperfect. Right. And, you know, so once we're talking about, like, actually fungi as we recognize them out in the field, they typically either grow in a unicellular form, like single cells floating around, or they grow in what are called mycelium. Okay. Which are kind of like one after the other in a row. Right. Right. Like neighboring cells hanging out in a single Eventually, a mushroom. Sure. They can come together into their fruiting bodies as mushrooms. Yeah. But mushrooms are, you know, like a lot of times they're the part poking out of the ground. And underground, there's a whole full mycelium network going on. If I was to write a kind of Spring Awakening style musical about sexual awakening about you, it would be called Fruiting Body. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't like it. <laughs> um, so, so kind of recently, you know, we've gotten better at sequencing things cheaper. Right. And so one of the cool things... Uh, We've just been sequencing fucking everything. Right. And from smaller amounts of cells, like traditionally, even when we wanted to sequence something, it would have to be something that we could like kind of grow enough of. Okay. And at this point, we've been able to actually go out there and just like take some soil and just kind of try sequencing anything that's in that soil. And that means that we can pick up some fungi and bacteria or whatever that normally we have a hard time growing ourselves. Yeah. And we get a better kind of glimpse of the biodiversity out there. But, you know, out of everything that we know from fungi, they are heterotrophs. So that is an important critical distinction between them and plants. Plants are able to basically make their own carbs from the sun, right? They right. can do the photosynthesis. Right. And no fungi do that. Okay. Fungi do not do that at all. So that's right? like... Mm. That feels like a very important mm, distinction. Yeah. One has photosynthesis, the other doesn't. Right, and so they do not produce their own food. Well, and they basically get food by, like, fucking mulching on crap, right? Like, aren't they decomposers most of the time? Some of them. Oh, interesting, okay. Some of them, but fungi do not only have to be decomposers. Oh, shit. But they do like to eat. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big thing. Hungry Fun boys. Fungi love eating. Okay, okay, okay. What's up with that? Why are they eating so much? Why are they so hungry? <laughs> well, so I think part of it is that they're actually just very efficient at getting a lot of food. In okay. that their mycelia, they have a lot of surface area. So ah, they can cover right. a lot of ground. That makes sense. They can kind of secrete out stuff to digest things and then take up all those nutrients. Right. They are major decomposers. And they're decomposers of stuff that sometimes is very hard for other things to decompose. Right. Like I see one of the big ones here is lignin. Yeah. Okay, lignin stuff, the solid polymer, bark. Yeah. I tried to eat bark once, it was like three weeks ago. Didn't work. Doesn't work out very well. Yeah. And so... I didn't realize in a smoker you put meat in the smoker too, so I just smoked some chips. <laughs> and then yeah. I ate the wood chip, and I was just like, I just wasn't full. <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't do so much for you. So there's some bacteria that can also eat 
lignin, but it doesn't seem like they're quite as efficient as fungi are. The fungi are like pretty much the only thing out there that's very, very efficient at eating tree bark. So why is fungi like white rot fungi? Why are they so good at eating wood and crap and nothing else seems to? I would say there's two parts to that. One of them is that as a eukaryote, they have access to like a pretty good set of biosynthesis pathways. So they can make a lot of enzymes and things. Okay. And they can secrete out and those enzymes will do the process of breaking down the bark into the individual pieces of that polymer. So why can't we put that cool shit in other animals and plants and shit? Like, why why, why can only fungus do that? Like, why can't... Uh, so I will say that we can hypothetically put that into other animals. We actually talk a little bit about this a little bit later in the bioengineering part right. that we talk about this right. episode. But very, very broadly speaking, anytime that you put something new into some other animal or plant or whatever, some right. new gene right. or some new pathway to like make stuff or something. You also need to convince the cell to actually use that pathway. Right. Because it takes energy to like make something. Right. Like to make new enzymes and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. You have to make it worth their while. And a lot of times the cell will prefer to just do what it normally does sure. and completely ignore what you just tried. That to coaxing do. is very difficult. Right. Which is too bad because not only can fungi eat wood, Fucking guys eat stone. Yeah. So just briefly on the wood part of it, they can take the wood and break it down. So wood's a polymer. Yeah. Of kind of relatively complicated, what are called aromatic monomers stuck together in a chain. But fungi don't even give a fuck. They take all that complex fucking monomers, dude. They eat them all down until there's nothing but carbon dioxide and weeping mothers. And they listen to the lamentations of, whoa. Yeah, they break it down into carbon dioxide and water. So they break it down all the way yeah. and extract all the energy that they can out of it. It's fucking Which cool. is very impressive. That's a very, very complete metabolism process. They can do the same thing to stone. Right, so they can burrow into stone and extract resources from stone. I've seen this written as like fungi that eat rocks or that's something. not quite accurate right they're not really eating the rock because the rock doesn't have some kind of organic carbon source like some kind of sugar or anything right for them to really get energy out of but what rock does have is minerals right and a lot of minerals and metals are important cofactors right for enzymes and stuff and so fungi can secrete out like acids and stuff that will weaken rocks and then Damn. burrow into those rocks to get to some of the mineral deposits. Damn, dude. Are we going to do that? Are we going to like get some genetically engineered fungus and just throw it on rocks? Are they going to give us the iron? Uh, Maybe, actually. It's fucking cool, So, man. So probably not iron, but I have seen some people talking about it for like rare earth metals and stuff right. like that. Stuff that's harder to mine. Right. And, and being cool. able to kind of like put them... Or, you know, in some of these cases, they're even found in, like, abandoned mines. Right. They'll find these, like, fungi just, like, growing on the walls of the mine. That's cool. And where the fungi is, the rock is kind of weathered and broken down some. And the mycelia are kind of, like, reaching in toward minerals and stuff below the surface. That's crazy. Fungus can even grow in Chernobyl. Yes. So, speaking of them... Maybe eating. So there has been fungi found in the Chernobyl plant that is surviving despite pretty seriously fucked up radiation levels to this day, right? Yeah. The one that they found is a... Cryptococ neoformin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cryptococcus neoformans, which, by the way, can infect immunocompromised people and can cause like meningitis and pneumonia. Damn. You know, you're walking through Chernobyl and you think, all you got to worry about is radiation. Uh, again, you got meningitis. Well, it's funny. Radiation can make you immunocompromised. Hilarious. So <laughs> Bad place for people, Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Now, my first reaction to reading this story was like, okay, you found fungus there. Right. But that doesn't mean that the fungus like loves being right. there. Right. People fucking right? find deer in Chernobyl. Who gives a shit? Right. So then my next question was like, okay, how much do we know about like how much they're enjoying that radiation? Well, and it turns out. Well, so one of the interesting things is that in a lot of cases, the fungi seems to be growing toward the source of radiation. Oh, shit. Right? As opposed to away from it, which is what you'd expect if, like, a oh, spore shit. landed and was like, oh, that's gross over there. And dude, like, fungus so, wants to get radiated, dude. Right. So maybe one thing that they can say is that this fungi is very heavily melanated. Okay? And melanin, just like the pigment in our skins, 
is a whole class of molecules that make a polymer that's heavily pigmented. And so these fungi use that to help kind of soak up energy from the radiation. That's cool. Now, the question is, is the melanin just protecting the fungi? Right. Or, as some, a couple of scientists have proposed, is the fungus actually using the melanin to generate stuff like free radicals and electrons, almost like, you know, maybe electrons that can be used for something kind of like an electron transport chain. Right. A way to get energy. Right. Is it basically these radiation particles are hitting the melanin and then in the process of hitting it, all of this energy gets released and then the fungi is using that energy for something, some kind of chemical energy. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, dude. It's probably getting all the hawking radiation and... Uh, bang. Well, <laughs> I, so, uh, big if true. Yeah. Okay. It would be a very impressive situation if that were the case it probably puts its spores on individual electrons and then zip them back in time (laughs) (laughs) and cause chernobyl (laughs) anyway so i i I don't know if these fungi like are actually getting work out of the radiation or if they just happen to be surviving it pretty well right but one cool application of this fungus would be to try to use all of the uh the melanin sort of processing that they do as maybe some kind of way to do radiation shielding for spaceships or something. Right. Right. Like what, what if we can use the same principle to help block radiation when we're doing interstellar travel? Because that's still a pretty big concern right now. Right. But yeah. So the, so maybe eating radiation, they can eat plastic. That seems cool. So why can't we just use fungi to like solve all of our problems on earth? Well, I mean, there's like a prototype weird German thing. Where like it's I like, don't trust <laughs> prototype German things. <laughs> it's like uh, those invade Poland, Sean. It's this thing that you're supposed to be able to have in your home, and it's like little cups of like recycled plastic. Yeah. That like what you do is you put like a little bit of fungus on them. Oh my god. And then the fungus is supposed to eat the plastic. Oh my god. And the plastic's kind of sitting there in like the shape of a cup, and then it ends up getting replaced with the fungus. Oh my god. And then you can eat the fungus. Whoa, that took a. That was not the turn I expected. So it's like you're making edible fungus out of what used to be a plastic cup. The audience cannot see <laughs> how flabbergasted I am. Um, I I knew German food was bad. <laughs> I didn't know it was that, but no, uh, that, what does it taste like? It probably tastes, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of fungi have like a little bit of an umami kind of flavor to it, you know? Can I, where, where do I get some? Well, so as Do far I as I have to be German, there's a website, livinstudio.com slash fungi mutarium. And that that one, with there's a link in the show notes. That is the prototype for it. I don't know if you need to like go to Germany and like sneak into somewhere to, wow. to get access to it. Probably. There's like a picture of a lady like taking a bite out of a, a fungus cup. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, like, so why isn't this something that we can just do tomorrow? Like, why can't we just go to our landfills and just, like, throw some fungus on it and be like, see ya? Yeah. Um, part of it is that, as far as I can tell, fungi are not maybe the biggest consumers that we found so far of plastics. Oh, okay. Because uh, we have some bacteria, like, Japanese got cooking up. Yeah. Throw that on plastic. Uh, we have a... We have a plastics episode that's actually written up that we haven't recorded. In like six months? (laughs) Yeah. But in that episode, I mentioned that there's like wax worms. Wow. And like there's insects that can eat plastic so long as their microbiome has bacteria that can help break down the plastic. Damn. I thought plastics were like unbreakable down by like organic schmitschmats. That's what we thought for a long time. That's so cool, dude. Nature finds a way. Yeah, and sometimes... I am heart from Captain Planet. (laughs) Sometimes it's not a very high-efficiency way, right? Okay, right. Or sometimes it requires certain kinds of conditions. Right. Which is why, like, that bacteria that's in the waxworm microbiome outside of the waxworm might not be able to do a very good job. It might be something in the microbiome, like, kind of environment. The holistic situation. That's cool as hell. But in any case, it does seem like these fungi can slowly turn this kind of plastic into just more fungus you know what i mean damn and then you can just eat the fungus i've heard that maybe taking the plastic and uv treating it to kind of help break it down a little might help but yeah okay well we've talked a lot about how fungi can do a lot of incredible things let's take a pause because after that we gotta talk about maybe the most incredible fungus 
the one that makes us alcohol. <laughs> so, so, so let's take a break and let's talk about yeasty goodness. The following is an actual advertisement. 24 hours is like three weeks. Wookies, <laughs> 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 uh, lasers, Death Star. <laughs> so slugs up your butt is bad. Is that what I've gleaned from this? Hi, we're the Culture Quest Podcast. We're on a quest to become more cultured people by discussing a movie, a music album, a book, or anything else really each episode. Check us out, culturequestpodcast.com. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of cool, kind of more esoteric fungi that eat all sorts of cool kind of shit. But, you know, honestly, those aren't even real. They're not even, they don't even exist. There's one fungus that is real, Sean, that it does exist. That's like the most sexy fungus that gets me drunk. Yeah. Guys, all say thank you to yeast. Yeah, and, you know, next episode, we're going to talk about a lot of the uses of yeast in, like, stuff like food and everything. Like right. That. But one thing that maybe people don't know is that yeast has actually contributed really fundamentally to deep-level understanding of eukaryotic cell biology. I mean, and it makes some sense because they're unicellular, right? Right. And they're also, like, one of the most important components of, like, human civilization. Yeah. We've used it for a long-ass time. We've started to know what yeast, like, really is. And it makes sense that we would study it in great depth because... Dude, that's how we make bread. Right? Yeah, like, we, yeah. we want to know about that. And we know how to grow it reproducibly, right? And so, like, E. coli was the bacteria that we studied the shit out of. And the yeast that we use for, like, baking and everything like that. Uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae is the one that we did a lot of the eukaryotic cell biology. So, technically, a yeast is a unicellular fungus. So, any fungus that likes to live out its lifespan as a single cell is a yeast. Yes, okay. Okay, as a broad category. And so that means that there is like a huge, huge number of different kinds of yeast. Um, and they do not need to be like anywhere close to related to each other in the scheme of things. Like they're all fungi, okay. but like they can be like very distant branches okay. of the fungus sort of like grouping. Okay, cool. Um, so even if you take a look at like a specific group of yeast, like the budding yeasts, these dudes have been evolving apart from each other for like the past 400 million years. Right. Like their most recent common ancestor was 400 million years ago. Right. It would is... be like comparing us to M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> or to frogs. Yes. yes. And so, you know, it's completely accurate to say, oh, I use yeast to bake bread, but you can also get a yeast infection. Like both of those things are true, right. but they are very different species of yeast. Who told you? About your yeast infections? Shut up. <laughs> Yeast infections are caused most commonly by Candida albicans and very can... honest Scotsman. <laughs> oh, because of Alba? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Whoa, so literate. <laughs> this guy. And you make beer with like Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And the last common ancestor between those two guys is 300 million years ago. That's a while back. But they're all still yeast. Yeah. Okay. But we've been doing just a super huge number of studies. On yeast like Saccharomyces cerevisiae and Schizosaccharomyces pombi, really kicking off to like the 60s and 70s, which is kind of the birth of molecular cell biology. Right. There's a lot of Sun Ra. There's a lot of Parliament. You know, Timothy Leary opening the doors of perception. We're starting to get really high. Mm -hmm. And we're like, whoa, what is yeah. yeast? Yeah. And then right? we're, we're looking in through the microscope. Yeah, dude. Get <laughs> some soma. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, looking yeah, in there. dude. <laughs> Janice Joplin. <laughs> Did it better, but that was still what? Good. <laughs> so a lot of the studies that people had done, you know, a decade earlier or something like that on E. coli were actually pretty easy to kind of just translate over to yeast. Yeast were surprisingly amenable to all kinds of genetic manipulation that we were doing to the bacteria. I mean, we kind of genetically done some funny stuff to yeast for several thousand years, hadn't we? Yeah, that's actually, next episode we'll talk about this more, but like lager yeast yeah. is actually a hybrid of at least two, maybe more Saccharomyces species. Wow, so they found two nice species and then put them together to make shit beer. 
<laughs> so you don't like loggers? Just kidding. There's actually some good loggers. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but they found out that yeast are surprisingly amenable to getting new genetic information. So you can actually kind of change yeast. You can break a gene. You can add a new gene in. And yeast, especially Saccharomyces cerevisiae, they're very easy to get, easy to grow. And they have two kind of stable life periods where they can either be haploid or diploid. Right. Now, do you remember haploid diploid shit? Oh, I wrote that in the notes to be condescending to you, but you flipped it around on me. Got I did. it. Got it. Yeah. Yes, I remember haploid diploid well, shit. Well, why don't you tell me about it, Mr. Smarty Pants? Right. So, a lot of organisms are diploid, which means that they have two copies of their genetic information. Right. Um, Everywhere in the world, a person has a doppelganger. <laughs> no <laughs> that's not exactly what that means <laughs> but uh what it means is that you have two copies set up and then once cells divide you'll kind of split those two copies apart that's cool and then you'll make another copy again just Very to have that extra copy around so we spend most of our time as diploid and our sex cells are haploid yeast can be haploid stay haploid, and go through divisions as haploid yeast. Dude, that's cool as hell. Or they can have sex, become diploid, and then be diploid, divide asexually, and remain diploid. Dude, I just thought of an awesome spinoff idea, a little controversial. So hear me out. It's FX's pose animated about some yeast. <laughs> In the ballroom scene. <laughs> In the unicellular balls. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of animate them like Powerpuff Girls, right? Like the Amoeba Brothers from Powerpuff Girls. Uh-huh. But, you know, like Pose. <laughs> 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 and they're doing, like, Paris is burning stuff. Wow. All right. That sounds pretty funny, right? Like, that sounds like a pretty good, a pretty good, very transgressive, you know, very, very interesting cartoon, I think. Run it up the ladder, buddy. You are up the ladder. <laughs> take that take that up to the tippy top. There's not a lot of people above me because I'm not part of many institutions. <laughs> you, you and Stacy are the two people above me. <laughs> and trust me, I feel the shit you throw at me every day. Nah, dude. It's... <laughs> we got to take this up to my boss, Joe Biden. Okay. <laughs> Why haven't you introduced me yet? <laughs> Are you embarrassed of me? The vice president of the continental United Petri Dish, <laughs> Joe Biden. Okay, fuck. <laughs> what? I don't know. Don't, don't ask me. Guys, you're so random, Sean. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so the point is yeast can be completely chill and just hanging out in either a haploid or diploid state. Okay. And that is super useful for genetic studies because in a haploid state, you only have one copy of each gene. So if you break one, you can find out what that gene was supposed to be doing immediately. Oh, that's There's cool. not another copy kind of making up for it. Right. When it's diploid, you have to try to break both copies to be able to see what happens. Okay. But the yeast in the haploid form, you can just break one and be like, boom, I can tell like, oh, that gene was really important because all these yeast right. are dead. So or we like, started just fracking the shit out of yeast because they're very convenient. We got a lot of it laying around and then we learned a lot of crap about eukaryotes and yeasts specifically as well. Right. We learned the function of a lot of genes. That's cool. A lot of genes. And as it turns out, because... We share 99.9% .9 of our genome with fungus, <laughs> we get a lot of them genes too. It's not that much, but we do share homology, like a common origin. A lot of our genes and yeast are common that way. Right. So Which is why the Martian Manhunter is like if you took a human and covered him in yeast or green algae. <laughs> Is because Fuck. originally there were Martian people, and then, like, the yeast part turned into one thing when they came to Earth. And then the humanoid part became humans. So that's why humans and yeast are more related closely than, like, cats or something. <laughs> and people. No! <laughs> Fuck! Okay. Uh, shit. But the point is <laughs> that Saccharomyces cerevisiae were the first eukaryote to have their full genome sequenced back in 1996. And we basically broke every single one of their 6,000 genes one at a time to, like, see what they do. That's cool. And so you can actually go out there and you can order a yeast that has been really specifically genetically modified to, like, have these genes broken this way and stuff like that. Right. And you can order it and have it sent to your lab and everything. So 6,000 sounds like a lot, but, you know, obviously compared to humans, it's not a lot at all. Uh, of those 6,000 genes were a bunch, like, totally rando things that didn't do anything, like, in the human genome? No, 
No, sometimes what happens is the gene will do something in yeast that by virtue of them being unicellular does not map very well onto what it does in people. Right. Right. Like it has since taken on different uses and functions right. in multicellular cells. Right. But one thing you said about 6,000 genes, 6,000 gene products, like let's say 6,000 proteins, mm-hmm. is actually not that much less than humans. Trying to make me look like a bitch? <laughs> humans, I feel like last count was like 23,000 genes. Okay. So like, the yeast have like four times less. Okay. Something like okay, that. that's cool. We do have more what's called alternative splicing, which means one gene can result in multiple kind of proteins right. from it by mix and matching bits of it. We do that, I think, a little bit more than yeast do. But in any case, we learned a lot. We learned okay. a lot from these little goobers. We love them. We love yeast. And we actually learned so much from them and have so many good tools for working with them that they're a really popular playground for synthetic biologists. Like what? Like what sexy things do these Frankenstein monster scientists do? Yeah. So in some cases, the scientists are doing things that are a little bit... Like making nylon stockings, perverts. (laughs) Yes, like making nylon. So Panties. A lot of the examples I'm about to go into are sort of... Examples of metabolism, like building something and okay. metabolic pathways. But there's more science work that's kind of on a more basic level. Okay. Just looking like, oh, if I take these proteins and I mix them together and I like Frankenstein monster a new kind of protein, can it still signal through the cell? What kind right. of signaling does it do? Right. It helps you make kind of cool complex circuits and nano machines and stuff like that. Okay. But Aside from that, a lot of success has been on the sort of engineering yeast to make precursors for things like nylon or stuff that you previously had to get from petroleum. Okay. Okay. So as we want to get more renewable, a lot of the stuff we use in chemistry and like polymers and stuff like that, a lot of that stuff is from petroleum. Right. So if we want to do less petroleum extraction... we got to get some yeasty business going down. We're going to want more of those raw materials coming from somewhere else. Cool. And it seems like yeast can make that stuff. Damn. We can also have them make drugs that we previously had to get out of, like, plants and stuff like that. That's cool. Like chloroquine. I think... I don't know if it's chloroquine. I didn't expect that to go so well. Well, the, the, this example is an anti-malarial drug, and chloroquine is an anti-malarial drug. Right. But I think the one that I'm thinking of is called, like, a... Artemisin or something like that. or mm. Named after Artem- the goddess of the hunt. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually something from traditional Chinese herbal medicine. Oh. That they were doing like a big screening of the traditional herbal medicine and found out that like this one thing like actually does work. Right. Just like how rhino horn actually does make me hard. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck. So we've actually used these little yeasties to try to make all kinds of stuff, even stuff that we can get from other places like THC, cancer drugs from tree That's bark. That's cool. Fucking all oh, marijuana yeast, dude. Yeah. Yeah. See, Andre, my buddy, makes beer or he loves yeast. I tell you what, man, when yeast is making THC, Andre's going to be yeast king. Well, so the interesting kind of Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but when you're doing metabolic engineering, so you're trying to get yeast to make something. Yeah. Part of the issue always is like you give the yeast some kind of food and then you want them to make product A. But the main thing yeast want to do is eat the food, use it for energy and then divide and be happy. Right. Right. So you have to like try to force them more to make the product you want. Interesting. So if we do this mass scale in 20 years, Ezra Klein's going to talk about yeast brutality and cruelty. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Ezra's but it's going to be like, do you know how we treat yeast in yeast factories? And it's like, okay, Ezra. Well, so I think one of the interesting things about using yeast, instead of like, because with THC, you can just grow a marijuana plant, right? Like, I mean, did we really have to go through all the trouble to be able to use yeast for it? Yeah. But one of the things about using yeast is, you know, plants need sunlight, or you need to have them in an artificial light situation. They need soil or a hydroponics thing. like, And they have to grow. It takes some time. Yeast, you can just grow in like a vat. You know what I mean? No. In like a factory somewhere. Sealed off. And a lot of times right now the feedstock is something like sugar. But there's been a lot of experiments to try to use alternative feedstocks. Ones that are kind of like waste feedstocks cool so we can recycle that waste and get something valuable out of it right the yeast could turn that waste and use that waste as the building blocks to make something else for us that's cool and so there's stuff like xylene and recycled wood chips 
and urine. Yeah. And, you know, can we take that stuff and have Ooh. plants or have yeast turn that into some kind of sexy cancer drug or THC Dude. or even just booze? Next thing you know, you're going to tell me that in Bavaria. You get a little cup. You pee in the cup and you pour it on your yeast and it makes you a lager and you drink the lager. Germans love their prototypes. <laughs> okay. So we're still learning about what kinds of food stocks are most efficient for making this kind of product versus that kind of product. But hey, it's very active research. Hey guys, this is the time to end your Petri hour <laughs> on funguses. Fungi. Yeah. Yes. Keep doing that. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but next week, we're going to go into all sorts of other crazy-ass fungi. Because, like, yeast is scratching the surface. Right? I mean, I'm well, let's rephrase that. Yeast is, like, one of the most fundamental things about human happiness. Okay? As someone who walks around total wine a lot. <laughs> okay? But, like, we haven't talked about cordyceps. Fungi fucking takes shit over. Bah! Right right out of them. We haven't talked about, like, wait, is kelp a fungus? No. Lichen... Is, like a, is a symbiotic. Right. There's like all sorts of crazy symbiotic fungi shits. There's fungi that are like underneath the forest and they're like, hey, what's up? And the tree is like, hello. Right? Like forest fucking. We wouldn't have land plants without fungi. Shit is crazy, guys. So join us next week for a deeper dive into all sorts of the craziest fungi in the world. That was but, beautiful. But on that note, it's time to end Petriawa. Yeah, so thank you, Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Brian and Griffin, for autistic tidbits. Is it Sean Connery that you're doing? No, I mean, if you say Sean Connery, people are going to just think about how bad my Sean Connery impersonation <laughs> is. So, what, 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 Can't it just be weird? It's just some kind of Scott. It's shish my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter, at Dish Podcast. I just bit a canker sore, so now I can't talk out of the left side of my mouth. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> you can email us at petridishpod at gmail.com. Guys, make sure to sign up, rate, review us. Yeah. And it really helps my brother's self esteem. Yeah, if the review's nice anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it can also really destroy my self esteem. That's true. <laughs> it all depends. If you review us poorly, I understand because I believe in a free democracy. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> you get did, you, it. did you sign that Harper's letter? Yeah, I did. Yeah, dude. dude. Yeah, dude. No, I, I don't believe in canceling. <laughs> if you <laughs> don't cancel Petri Dish. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, we, we love you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Da 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 da